Hello and welcome to Witch Car Weekly. If you have downloaded this podcast uh, by mistake, then it's probably the best mistake you've had all day, possibly week. My name is Daniel Gardner and this is episode 62 of Witch Car Weekly. Uh, we bring together some of the greatest minds in motoring and chat about some relevant topics and often digress onto completely irrelevant ones. And to do that, I need to be joined by uh, equally um, knowledgeable and distractible people. The first is the returning uh, Tim Robson, editor of Which Car. He's coming back because uh, he's, he's a great chap to speak to, but he's also my boss. So in the interest of keeping my job, welcome back, Tim Robson. Thank you, buddy, and wise decision. And uh, whenever we like to talk about something high performance related, then it's always wise to bring in a representative of Motor Magazine. And this time it is the returning Chris Thompson, online and digital editor. Chris, how are you, sir? I'm very well. I like that you give me a promotion every time you introduce me. I'm actually a digital journalist, but I'll take editor, whatever. Yeah, well, I don't know. Like, everyone's an editor of sorts these days, aren't they? I mean, I'm just sort of a bullshit. Yeah, I mean, I'm the only, the only digital journalist, so I guess I'm the boss of the digital journalists for motor. <laughs> I'm I'm, I, I always, I find that slightly creepy term because it may, it, to me, it just, I have just images of you, you know, just the fingers and things, you know what I mean? That's the digital. <laughs> <laughs> a bit disturbing. I, I, do, I do use my fingers to type, but I think you're reading way too much into it. <laughs> I could go for an electronic journalist. Before that goes any further down a very unsuitable rabbit hole, uh, let's get on with what we're going to talk about. Gentlemen, uh, a little while ago, Ford started rumouring that it may be about to do an electric Mustang. And not just that, but it was going to be an SUV-esque electric Mustang, which frankly gave me a bit of an innie. I just didn't like the idea of... Uh, a wonderful performance-related icon uh, and model going the way of an electric SUV. It just seemed to be all wrong. But in a dazzling act of redemption, um, Ford has actually gone up, in my estimation, about a zillion percentage points because in the last few days, it released a video of not just the uh, now-confirmed electric SUV version of the Mustang, but it's built a prototype to go along with it. And it released it in the most spectacular way, a video in the, in the theme and um, thread of Ken Block and his wondrous um, other productions. They've produced a prototype that is 1,000 kilowatts, has about 95 electric motors in it. It's an absolute bonkers machine. Um, and Tim Robson is going to tell us all about it, aren't you? Uh, absolutely, mate. Look, it, it dropped uh, late the other night uh, just as I was going to bed. So that was a, a, a nice late finish for us uh, at you to make sure we got that up. Um, but it was absolutely worth it. It was as soon as I flicked the video on and, and to, to backtrack a little bit, we watch a lot of this stuff, right? We see a lot of videos come through from manufacturers and quite often we've kind of got, you know, maybe one eye closed and we're doing something else and thinking, oh, great, another promo video for something that we might not be particularly interested in. This one held my attention for every step of the way. I dragged my 18-year-old motorsport mad son in to watch it, and he was gobsmacked as well, which for me is a bit of a signal that they've actually got it right. So it's called the uh, Mustang Mark E 1400, uh, built by a guy called uh, Vaughn Gitten Jr., very American name. Uh, but he's actually got a bit of a connection with, with Ken Block in that they've built cars together. So that uh, crazy Mustang 
that he's built and used in videos recently. That was actually built by Gittin Jr. He's a drifter and a motorsport guy. So uh, they've spent the last year and a half building this thing, like completely uh, below the radar, completely uh, off the reservation, spent all of Ford's money on this thing. It is <laughs> just freaking wild. Like whatever they could, yeah, Vaughan was saying in, in a sort of related video that he's been watching the sort of the rise and rise of, of electric power uh, with great interest. They've obviously all got you know, 9 million horsepower V8s from Ford, you know, in every, every corner of the shed and they still love that stuff. And, and that, uh, that particular Mustang is absolutely insane. But when you watch that video and you see how fast, how blindingly quick uh, the Mark E prototype is. It's got seven electric motors. It's got four on the rear axle, three on the front. They're aligned like a pizza. So basically they're on the same axle, but lined up like as if you were sliding pizzas along the tray. No each way. End, That's brilliant. Each end has its own cooling system and it has two cooling systems per end. So that's four cooling systems, wow. two for each. It's Every piece of engineering, it's got cantilever suspension that you'd find on an open-wheel race car. This thing is built to skid forever. It's, it's amazing. I'm, I'm gobsmacked. And it's genius. And this is why I have such a huge respect for Ford doing this, is for people like me who instantly switched off when they said we're going to build an electric SUV version that's going to wear that most sacred of names, the Mustang, uh, this is completely done a 360. It's just... I think what is so wise about this is that all the time, whenever we talk about electric vehicles on this podcast and on the website and in the mags, we're always, you know, taught the elephant in the room is how do you capture people's passion for cars with electric vehicles? Yes, models like Tesla's um, and sort of more performance focused ones have to some degree done that, but no one yet has built anything. And even like, you know, Volkswagen's ID that went up Pike's Peak and broke the record that even that wasn't, you know, it was a bit sort of, clinical and a bit sort of surgical what this has done has shown that electric vehicles can deliver a, a absolute hammer blow of passion not just it's fast it's efficient it's technologically it's this is the first passionate electric vehicle i think i've i've ever seen and it's been brilliantly done it has been i think we have as journalists we should we still should take it with a little bit of a grain of salt you know i would I'm going to guess maybe between three and four million. No, maybe that's a little excessive. Let's say two million Australian dollars has probably gone into you know from Bolt One to the uh, to time to the time they turned it on. So yeah. there's a lot of marketing money and there's a lot at stake for to get this right. Um, they understand the market. Do you believe Ken Block is 51 years old now? No, I, I don't really realize <laughs> he, was, he was getting to someone's vintage <laughs> like mine. Um, but he's. <laughs> But they're tapping into that zeitgeist of, of these young blokes, young at heart blokes, let's say, uh, that have an audience of millions and millions of fans that love seeing cars do stupid shit. So, you know, as you say, kudos to Ford for giving that a crack. It's a, um, an amazing car. Some other stats is about 2.2 tonne. The battery is nearly 700 kilos. Whoa. Uh, and they, rec- they reckon that they can charge it uh, in 45 minutes for 45 minutes of range. Um, so it, that's enough for a Pikes Peak hill climb. It's enough for a bit of a, a skid around a, a Gymkhana track. Uh, they say it's not built to do anything particularly. It's just built to be a bit of a show car. So I think its next stop is going to a, a NASCAR race to kind of show the, the good old boys and girls just how it's done electrically. 
So it's it's an absolute um, performance star, uh, and I think this is doing wonders for the electric vehicle cause, not just Ford, um, of which I think it is also doing brilliant things. But for me, just about the best part of this car is the way it sounds. Now, this is the one thing that we're always talking about. Electric vehicles, they're never going to sound as good as a Lamborghini V12. You be the judge. I'm going to try and play a little, just a couple of seconds of the way this thing sounds from the video, and you tell me what you think. Now, I don't know about you, that is possibly the most exciting sound an electric vehicle has ever made. It sounds like some kind of psychotic whale crossed with a, a, a manic nine superchargers. It's like, like I, I drive a supercharged car, not because it's quicker, but because it sounds awesome. Well, what this is effectively is all the noise of a supercharger without anything else. It's bloody incredible. Tell me if I'm wrong. I did actually re-watch the video just before we started so I could remember uh, because from memory, it was insanely loud. It sounded like it did. That, that's exactly what I thought. It just sounded like there was no engine or anything, just a supercharger sitting <laughs> up to the front. Hey, maybe we Some... have a secret of Ford's car. Maybe one of those seven electric motors just drives a supercharger for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you're right. It does sound completely wild. And that's the thing we've always said, especially at Motor, where, you know, the you know passion of a car is like part of it. It's how it sounds. And electric cars can be fast, but not necessarily exciting. But this one just looks amazing. Like it, it in the video, they have it, alongside some of Ford Performance's kind of iconic cars. It's NASCAR, Mustang. Uh, they put it up next to uh, one of Vaughn Gittin's RTR cars, the um, GT350. And it's just there, you know, up alongside it, doing awesome things like the rest of them. It's drifting, it's drag racing, it's handling well. And the video actually has like a good sense of humor about it as well, I think. Ford's done a really good job with it. Yeah, yeah, it, it really does it all. I mean, they're trying to make it look like this one car can take on all of the V8-powered Mustangs and, and cars that it has produced for various racing series and events previously. And look, I mean, there's, editing is everything, but it certainly seems to have a massive amount of potential up its sleeve. So with a car that looks and sounds and does the job of this prototype, do you think we could be looking at... A new gen, what a new generation of petrol heads works. Well, we can't call them petrol heads anymore. A new generation of car enthusiasts. Is this what they'll get passionate about? They'll hear like electric vehicles screaming their tits off like that, and and think you know a Lamborghini sounds primitive and and very sort of archaic. Is, are we looking at the future and what's actually going to get people interested in cars as a new generation? I'll, I could speak to that a little bit uh, in terms of my eighteen-year-old son Max, who's. You know, been brought up on a diet of cars. He's got his cams racing. Well, what are they Good going on you, Australia this week? He's got his license. He loves that stuff. Uh, he loves sim racing. Uh, he's he's very active on iRacing, which we've covered before on the podcast. Uh, he's actually level one, whatever that means. And, and makes me look good because he does it under my name. So that's fantastic. <laughs> I use him as a barometer for this kind of stuff. I want to see where the younger market is because we all know that buying a car now is a real serious concern for car companies looking at that younger audience. Are they going to all use Ubers? Are they going to just, you know, rent a car for a few hours at a time? Are they literally going to buy cars again? Max was absolutely enthralled. He was, he watched it a couple of times. He shared it with a few mates. And for me, that's in this kind of crazy world of media. I found that a real interesting point. Not a lot of his mates are particularly car 
savvy or interested, but he, he found the noise, he found the, uh, uh, the excitement of the, and the notion, you know, good enough to share. And I think that's a pretty big win, you know, straight out of the gate. Yeah. And I mean, you, you, your audience, Chris, is entirely performance focused. What are the chances of a vehicle like this one day gracing the, the, the cover, you know, the hallowed cover of Motor Magazine? I think um, it might be a while before we see an electric car on the cover of Motor, but something like this is something with a chance. I mean, you know, specifically what you said, the cover, perhaps not relevant. It's one car and, you know, it's not like we'll be able to go to the shops and buy it, but uh, it's definitely something that's probably going to end up in a near future issue of Motor. I mean, it's, you know, we've had electric hypercars and all of those kind of very low volume things in there but even those kind of aren't as exciting as this because they just are fast they don't necessarily have that same drama about them as this one does so um i i think the mustang itself being such a such a like you know it's the most popular muscle car in the country it's the most popular sports car in the country i think technically um so our readers are you know basically 100 percent behind the mustang and when the mark e was announced it was oh get out of here no no thank you and then seeing this we're all just like oh actually if if this is it then (laughs) maybe we can handle that tell me that there isn't a mustang in the rtr workshop getting the same thing done (laughs) <laughs> well that's the well, thing if Vaughn getting jr is driving for this video i mean he is the head of rtr so yep it's yep. uh yeah if we see if we see a uh an rtr mustang come out and then you know Vaughn getting jr versus ken blocks next unicorn whatever it's called it's uh yep. that would be pretty incredible if Gittin's got seven murders then block's gonna have to have 19 on his yeah. <laughs> Yeah, an absolute like sterling effort from all involved. Those epic drivers, the production team has just done a smashing job. Um, it, it had to be this way if anyone's going to take Ford's Mustang EV seriously. And I think you, you can only give it the attention it deserves and also the credit. Um, one criticism I have of this car is they describe it as zero emissions. But it's not, is it? Because if you watch the video, it emits a shitload of tyre smoke. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the other reason I absolutely love this car. It's like it just turns every EV stereotype on its head. It's it's such a brute. And so it's bordering on antisocial. And I absolutely love it for that reason. Um, But now I'd like to talk about a slightly different electric vehicle in this uh, I suppose we call it a special podcast with Which Car Weekly. a couple of weeks ago, I had the pleasure of driving uh, Mini's first full electric model. It's called the Cooper SE. It's based on the uh, effectively entry-level and longest-running version of the Mini, the three-door hatchback. Um, and as I say, it's arrived in Australia now. It's, uh, it is about as sort of basic as an electric vehicle can, can come. It's front-wheel drive. It's uh, got a relatively small battery. Um, it'll do 230 kilometers uh, on a single charge. Um, but my resounding impression of this car is now we've got around about 15 offerings, um, about 15 different electric vehicles on sale in Australia. It honors the Mini beautifully. It looks pretty much like any normal hatch give or take a few grills and different wheels here and there. 
Um, it drives exactly like one because they've kept the center of gravity really low, even though it's been jacked up about 15 millimeters to make room for the battery underneath. Um, but it's still every bit a Mini. And I argue that Mini was always the company that would do this kind of transition into electric better than anywhere. Because I'll explain. People have always been prepared to spend a little bit more for a Mini, whether it be for its styling, for its performance. You know, you, you can never say a Mini is really on a value proposition uh, with any other sort of small hatches. It's expensive, what it is, but people are willing to pay it. Electric vehicles, by the nature, when you throw in a motor and battery, are also expensive and, and offer and uh, demand a premium over their combustion-powered equivalents. So Mini has actually done what it's always done. It's offered a car that is a little bit more expensive than a rival, but I think it's going to go absolutely berserk because that's always been their unique selling proposition. A little bit different, but you pay a little bit more. Am I right? Yeah, interesting, mate. I think it's... I. I look at it in two ways. I think you're 100% right that people are looking for the Mini and they then they see the electric version and go, oh, great, I love the Mini, but the electric one could be a bit of me. If we look at it from a sort of a more from the which car kind of, you know, intending to buy a car soon point of view and you look at the numbers in terms of the cost of the car, it was about 55000 bucks, I think, something like yeah. that for the for the mini electric so you look at the the leaf the nissan leaf which is kind of the the you know, i suppose the gold standard in terms of a an affordable ev for everyday use that's 50 grand i'll tell yeah. you which one i'd rather have a hundred a hundred yeah if i was looking for an electric car to drive from from work to home short range i can plug it in at work i can plug it in at home i'm not driving a leaf sorry nissan but then it's a mini every day of the week it's one of those things where the historically electric cars look like electric cars it's this weird thing of the designers have gone oh we can make it look like an electric car where it's like well the reason people buy other cars is because they look good and then you've made this car that doesn't so not that i don't think the leaf looks good specifically i'm just i don't think the leaf looks good come on let's be kind Tesla did an important thing for making electric cars look better than most electric cars have. Um, but I think the Mini looking like a Mini is the best thing Mini could have done because there are those Mini buyers who are you know, performance enthusiasts who are probably going to buy the S, JCW versions, whatever, and they're around the same price as this anyway. And then there are the people who buy Minis for the style who are probably the people who are going to be looking at the electric one and going, oh, yeah, I could do that. 100%. How does it go, Dan? In, ter- in terms of its performance, Dan, how did you rate it, you know, given it's going to have your instant torque and all this kind of stuff, but I guess you're then playing against the weight of the car? Well, how yeah. did it go? It's weird, actually. So um, those who don't know, it actually takes its orange electrified bits from the BMW i3, which is not necessarily a bad thing because I've never met anyone who's driven an i3 and doesn't like it. So it's got that kind of feel and about that level of performance about it, but it does a weird thing. And I suspect what's going on is... Zero to 100 is about seven point something seconds, which is not very fast. But what I think they're doing is because it's only front wheel drive um, and two wheel drive, it has the torque to absolutely annihilate its rubber from standstill. So what I reckon it's got is that progressive torque delivery. So off the mark, you don't get the full power. Nail it in gear acceleration, in gear and inverted commas. um, And it feels way quicker than it does off the mark. So I think it's Zero to hundred performance is not representative of how actual actually quick it is. Um, handling is beautiful, and the other thing I love about this car, while we're talking about performance, is while um, 
all, all electric vehicles, with the uh, exception of Teslas, have tires on them that are intended to, to make the battery last longer. So low drag, low rolling resistance. Um, but there's nearly always a compromise in performance and grip with that, even to the extent that the Subaru XV Hybrid I'm driving at the moment has got mild boosting tires on it. The Mini Cooper SE has Goodyear Eagle F1s on it. So it's the car is intended to be a good driver's car, and it absolutely is. That tells me that I think, Chris, there might be a, a market for uh, a new school of tuning. Uh, they can, uh, instead of uh, tuning up the, uh, you know, the ECU, you can literally just get into the motor and just give a little bit, turn down the torque. Well, that was the thought I just had. If it has the <laughs> torque to be that quick, what's its claim to 107 seconds? Yeah. I mean, that's already pretty quick for a car that's not a performance car. That's, you know, getting into hot hatch territory there. For sure. And then, you know, it is a hatchback. So if you were to tweak the, uh, tweak the torque to deliver it a little bit more instantly... The other thing it does, which is really good, is um, it's one of the very lightest electric vehicles you can buy on the market. In fact, the second lightest. Only the full carbon fiber BMW i3 is lighter. So the Mini weighs 1,365 kilos, which is a lot for a small hatch, but that's bantamweight for an electric vehicle. So it's really good there too. Not even that heavy by most car standards. I mean, even some other big-ish hatches are you know, heavier than that with, uh, without an electric motor system. Like, you know, cars so, yeah, like the Civic Type R is quite heavy. The i30N, they're like 1,400 yeah. kilos. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Look, in terms of the range, I think it's, you know, 230 kilometres might make some people turn up their nose. I'm not sure what people expect in terms of range these days. I think it's a number that's yet to settle. We have this kind of uh, impression that we can get six to 700 kilometres out of a tank of fuel, let's say. Uh, for for an average sort of you know mid grade car being driven normally, not by you guys at Motor. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> when <laughs> exactly um, when people hear the number two hundred and thirty kilometres, they think, well, I'll never be able to drive to Brisbane or to Melbourne or to Sydney, <laughs> which is a total a total crop. Nobody ever does. I think that's a fine number in terms of the size of the car, the cost of the car, what the potential use of that car is. Uh, in, you know, it'll be probably what. Average trip will be four to five kilometers, let's say. Yeah. Maybe it'll, it'll stretch out to a trip to the to parents on the weekend, uh, as long as you can find a PowerPoint. Um, it'll be interesting to see how long it takes to charge. In real life, I had a, a Jaguar I-Pace, and it was just an absolute pain in the butt to live yeah. with because I didn't have a three-phase you know, special wall charger. I literally had, to, literally had to wait two days for the thing to charge properly. Wow. So, but in terms of accessibility, I'm, I'm, I'm liking this Mini. Yeah, me That's too. The thing about electric car range claims are always silly to complain about because when was the last time we drive for a living? When was the last time you drove more than 250 Ks in your day-to-day life? 100% Chris, exactly. I think people under, they, they forget how far 230 kilometers is. Like I had the car for the best part of a day and I drove all morning, stopped for lunch, gave it a little bit of a charge, 10% charge over lunch. And it still had like half a battery before I'd even charged it up. So like you could literally drive all day and, you know, as long as it's not on the freeway, which is the absolute killer for electric vehicles. Um, and people just don't understand, they don't understand how far 230 kilometers is. I've got a, a pretty interesting test route for myself in that I live, uh, well, I used to go to the office, but not so much anymore. Um, about 80 kilometers as the crow flies between my house and the office. So 160 kilometer trip return. Uh, part of that is a massive uphill. Uh, conversely, when you come on the way home, it's a downhill. So electric car, you would start with, let's say, 310 
kilometres of charge. By the time you got to the first uphill, it had dropped to 240, even though I'd travelled 10 kilometres. Right. So, yeah. so it's not like the speed, yeah, it's definitely not like the fuel gauge in your in your petrol car that you can see going up and down. It is such a weird thing. So I get range anxiety given that I've tried a few <laughs> cars on that long distance and you get to the last big downhill and you think, come on, get that regen yeah. coast going. I need some charge to get home. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So yeah, but I, I agree with you guys. The shorter trip definitely is is more the uh, more the target for this kind of car. It's the car for me then, having spent only a short amount of time. Um in it, I love the idea and the notion of owning an electric vehicle one day, or at least living and driving one regularly. The Mini absolutely is the EV I would have. I just love its combination of its practicality. I think, you know, it's even though it's an expensive for a Mini, it's at the more affordable end of the electric vehicle spectrum. It's the one for me. So question to you guys, of the 15 or so electric vehicles you can buy in Australia now, which is, you know, it's a reasonable number, a good amount of choice. What would you go for? Oh, Robbo's waiting for me to answer. Oh, <laughs> the one person who's never <laughs> considered buying an electric car of the three of us. Um, the performance guy. I, the, the only fully electric cars other than Teslas, which I have my reservations about, that I've driven um, was the Ionic. Yeah. Um, and I really liked it. I can't remember how much it costs, though, and if it costs anything near what this Mini costs, I would probably have the Mini. I, I quite enjoy Minis. Yeah, the Ionics are around about, I think they start about $45,000. So, um, uh, yeah, more, more like forty eight. I would say, Dan. So I would say they're all in that kind of Mini. Mini has done a very clever job in keeping it as low a cost as it has to go right up against the Leaf and the Ionic in terms of that value, sort of looking there's sort of 10 to 15% or maybe 10% between all of them. So, um, you know, probably a big tick for the mini there. Absolutely right. And uh, for, I think, a limited time, it's for 59990 on the road. So, yeah, I mean, look, what an all-round compelling um, little thing that was. And most mm. importantly, maintaining the, the USP of mini, which is fun to drive and great to look at. If we were talking about a car that I didn't actually have to pay for, the Pininfarina Batista or something like that, because <laughs> despite the fact that it will cost millions and millions of dollars, then I can say that I've got one of three in the country. So, <laughs> mini. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> great answer. I think I'd... I'd... I think I'd probably go, there's a couple that, you wouldn't call it a pure you know, EV, obviously, but the, I had the Outlander, uh, Mitsubishi Outlander Fev for quite a while. Oh, yeah. I really liked that car. I thought it, it was so did. clever. They used, it used the paddles behind the shifter that you would see on something like an Evo 10 uh, for regen braking control. So you could actually dial up the level of, of regen braking that you got without touching the pedal. So you could have, if you dialed it up to eight, I think it was a top level you lift off the gas and the thing would stand on its nose. It was absolutely crazy. And then you could just breathe it off to give for longer. It was, it was a terrific idea. Maybe not in that thing, but if I had to go electric uh, pure, I'd probably go I-Pace. Like it, 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 to me, it looks beautiful. Mm. Um, it's quite practical for the, uh, for the size of car it is. And I reckon I could probably pick up one for quite a few thousand dollars of RRP, given how they're not <laughs> selling that well at the moment. And just have to get that three-phase socket installed at home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sticking with the electric vehicle theme, let's finish up with, uh, we're just going to touch on uh, a current news item that's uh, popped up recently. Um, good old Elon Musk, founder of Tesla, has engaged his own ludicrous mode again with some claims that he's sticking to uh, about his Tesla models. Um, 
when you talk about EVs and future model, future vehicle technology, you kind of have to do it in the same breath as autonomous driving. And dear Musk is sticking to his claims that his vehicles, or at least one model in the lineup, will be capable of level five autonomous driving within this year. He said a few years ago that 2020 would be the year level five happens, and he's not changed his prediction. Um, level five, for those who are not familiar with the, the five levels of autonomy, is the top level. That, as you wrote, Robbo, is a car that doesn't necessarily need a steering wheel because it can handle everything, all weather, all conditions, all circumstances, and needs no human intervention. Has he lost his mind? Uh, look, you've got to wonder if he's just playing the game again. He's had a, uh, he, he's had a pretty good week. Um, another big uh, level of, of um, market capitalization for Tesla uh, fell due over the week, which earned him uh, the. If he sold all the shares that he earned at the discount price that he was offered, uh, he's now 2.1 billion US dollars richer than he was this time uh, last week. So, you know, old mate can pretty much say what he likes in terms of uh, in terms of how he lives his life. But um, he was talking. If I get this right, it was the World Artificial Intelligence Conference in Shanghai, in China. Uh, yeah. Obviously, where there is a Tesla uh, gigafactory, where they're pumping out. Uh, Model 3s, Model Ys at a rate of knots, which is going to, you know, for him, hopefully sort of stands the company on its own two feet. Um, And basically, a lot of US experts came out instantly to say that he was absolutely kidding himself. I mean, some of the quotes were just fantastic. None of this is on a plane of reality, said one guy. Um, An absurd (laughs) idea, someone else. Um, And my favourite was a a bloke from um, uh, an Insights mob in the state said, it's nonsense. He needs to shut up until he can until he can deliver something. <laughs> so, so they were lambasting him, and 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 you and I, Dan and and Chris as well. We've we've been in the industry for a while. We go to events where car companies will stand up and say autonomy is a thing. We're level four. We're level three. Those conversations have changed over the last couple of years. When we've been to bigger motor shows and you get into the, the back rooms without the microphones on, um, engineers and, and consultants will tell you that level five autonomy, where the car can be summoned from the garage from across town and turns up and takes you wherever and then goes off and parks itself and does all that kind of George Jetson kind of level stuff, it's just not close. The, the data that you need to crunch to make these things work is at a magnitude that cars can't be made affordable or safe. Well, actually, probably that wrong way around. Safe is first, affordable is second. They're not at the level where they can be deployed safely uh, and they're not anywhere near the level that they can be afford, uh, deployed affordably. Yeah, and it's actually got to the point now where some manufacturers are even saying Level five may never be achievable. Technologically, perhaps, but actually, as you say, deployable into the real world and being, you know, ferrying real people around, that might just be too difficult and people won't actually even bother. Yes, high levels of autonomy I can see happening one day, and certainly it will roll out first in, you know, public transport and that kind of thing. But for every vehicle on the road to be level five, I think people are prepared to never see that. Even um, I- even Tesla's own website, I have it in front of me, says things like what can affect autopilot, which, by the way, is not even the actual self-driving level. Autopilot is basically cruise control. But it's got things like, yeah, it's it's level two. Um, things like dust on the sensors or fog or things like that. It's like, and, and high or low temperatures, It you, the conditions need to be 
essentially ideal for you to even just use you know cruise control in the tesla and your hands still need to be on the wheel so calling it autopilot is first of all misleading but it's just one of those things where i think tesla's marketing has probably exceeded the truth slightly it wouldn't be the first time of course this follows on from the news last week that it had to rename its autopilot that you mentioned chris in germany because they said it's misleading and people can unreservedly expect a car to be driving itself if you call it something like autopilot. So I'm pleased that Tesla is being um, held to uh, responsible for all these. These um, I think they are wild claims, and and Elon Musk is known for it. And as you say, Tim, I wouldn't be surprised if this is just another um, stunt to get the brand front and center in the news and the media, and and they'll probably carry on selling billions of cars. And that's uh, that's the world, isn't it? It certainly is, mate. Look, we on which car we've sort of documented over the years that the numerous incidents. Um, that you know, have involved Teslas and let's be honest, have involved stupid humans doing stupid stuff because humans are fundamentally, you know, can't be trusted with this stuff. Yeah. There, if you, if you search on YouTube, you can literally see videos of Tesla owners with cheese boards in the driver's seat, sharing some pate and crackers with their passenger. Uh, there's one I've seen of a person having a, a lightsaber fight with his wife in the front seat as they oh, drive across the States. And then they're surprised when they hit a dividing barrier at 160 kilometres an hour. Exactly. Some... So it's giving yeah, beta testing on your public or on your customers, not cool. Some lovely uh, uh, nominees for the Darwin Awards there. It looks like, gentlemen, <laughs> we're going to have to continue driving our cars for ourselves, which for us, I'm sure, is not a problem, nor is it a problem for our audience. Thank you for listening in for another episode of Which Car Weekly. If you want to get in touch and hear all the other bits and pieces, whichcar.com.au is the place. And in the meantime, do please drive safely and keep driving yourself because we're not there yet. Goodbye. And don't forget, Dan, I have done your damn podcast before. Don't try and tell me I haven't. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.